Hi, this is Martin Davis. This is the second episode of Martin Davis Mansplains. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I'm going to talk about military, legal, press, academia, sports, entertainment, religion, industrial complexes. Um, before I get going, I wanted to read a quote to you from a book called Hot Talk Cold Science by Dr. Fred Singer. And I'm going to be referring that to that book frequently in the following episodes. But uh, to start off with, uh, listen to this. Concerning the future, Dr. Singer wrote, quote, what's needed to address current and future problems are freedom, brain power, and rational optimism, not hysteria, fatalism, and anti-human nihilism, end quote. There are 330 million people in the United States right now. And because of the media that we currently have, we are almost always in a state of anxiety at the least, hysteria, fatalism, nihilism at the worst. It's very difficult in the United States to, to be optimistic with all the bad news that we're bombarded with on a daily basis. All the human frailties known to man are constantly brought to our attention. And the worst they are, the more attention they get. Serial killings, um, riots, natural disaster, every kind of, of problem that humanity has is magnified infinitely by the media that we have. And the, and the media that we have is growing. The internet has, has exploded that. And consequently, we walk around all the time thinking that this is the worst time in human history. I mean, if you are a rational human being, you would never in a million years come to the United States of America right now. And if you were living in the United States right now, with the media that we've got in the, in the environment that we've created, every single one of us should flee to any other country on the face of this earth. And yet we all know that we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. There are probably, there's no telling how many people would come to the United States if it was easier to do. A couple billion, probably. So, so what we're, we're not really seeing the reality of the lives that we're living. Think about this. What if we were alive... On December 8, 1941, what if, what if, you know, whatever age you currently are, think about, you know, what, how would we react the day after Pearl Harbor? We got the Japanese Empire launching a, a huge sneak attack against our, our naval forces in Hawaii and, and almost just by the grace of God, really, not wiping the entire Pacific fleet out. And we just happened to have aircraft carriers that were out conducting exercises and yes we lost you know a 
number of battleships, a lot number of personnel, but the but the the assets that we needed to actually confront the Japanese and halt their expansion and roll them back were in place, thank God, on Pearl Harbor. But you know, so you got that situation. Then in Western Europe, you got Hitler basically in total control of, of Western Europe and is, is, has, has cut a deal with the Russians, with the Soviet Empire, to carve up Eastern Europe. And he's had, had his hand, he can, he can attack Great Britain at will, and it's only by the grace of God that they have survived. So, you know, that's the situation on December 18, December 18, 1941. The country was still just, the country didn't even start coming out of the Great Depression, which began in 1929, really, until 1940. At the beginning of 1940, the unemployment rate in the United States was 19%. It had reached a high of 25% early in the 1930s, around 1932, I think. But by, by 1940, the beginning of 1940, it was still 19%, despite all the government programs and all the socialistic measures that Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, and, the, and the Democratic Congress had taken since 1932. All of that effort, all of that money, all of that expansion of government had basically cut unemployment about 25% during that period from from 25%, which was unheard of in the United States. So we were in dire straits economically at the beginning of, of 1940 and, and still just barely. And the only reason we were coming out of that is because we had started trying, we had started supplying uh, armaments to the to Great Britain and, and the other uh, nations that, that were still intact to try to offset what Hitler was doing. But it was it was a very very dire time. So you know, yeah, this is a tough time we're living in. It's nothing compared to that. What if you were living in the United States on on Jan July the fifth, eighteen sixty three? The Battle of Gettysburg had just ended on the fourth. The South was retreating. Vicksburg had fallen, which was a, a, equally as important as the Battle of Gettysburg for the Union. But but still. You know, there had been a terrible, awful civil war going on for almost three years. H hundreds of thousands of Americans had died. It was the most bloody, costly uh, conflict in U.S. history by far. Still to this day, more Americans perished during the Civil War than in, in all other wars we've been involved in, even World War II. You know, there was, slavery was still legal in the United States believe it or not. But that was about to change. But, you know, they, we've been in some tough times. You know, there were many, many, many people that settled this country. Many people uh, as, as the country moved west. And you can, you know, spend all your time thinking about how unjust it was and how oppressed the Indians. Uh, you know, we, we uh, subjected the Native Americans to all sorts of terrible depredations. And then a lot of truth there, you know. But it cut both ways in some circumstances. But yeah, it was it was it was the modern world in conflict with the Stone Age. And any time a, a superior culture 
uh, economically and, and intellectually has has conquered, and that's it was a conquer has conquered a, a, a less sophisticated, less wealthy, less powerful uh, culture. The, the the defeated culture never has accepted that. So you know it was a it was a situation really. There's no way out of it. You know, it, the, the indigenous Americans were not about to to accept. Uh, Western civilization represented by the, the Anglos that were moving west, and it was just a clash of civilizations, terrible thing, but it's gone on time and time and time again throughout human history all over the world. But nevertheless, a lot of, of very brave people that just wanted a better life for their families was immigrating west and, and isolated in, in you know small communities or by themselves, and were massacred or, di or died of disease. I mean, it is all sorts of hardships. And that's the stock that our country comes from. So yeah, I mean, these are, these are tough times, but nothing compared to the way it's been for Americans in the past. And it's nothing compared to the rest of the world or else people wouldn't want to come here and people here would like to leave. This is, yes, we have all sorts of problems and we all know, I mean, that's just humanity. This is a fallen world, all of us, all races, all individuals who have ever been born on the face of this earth are fallen human beings that make mistakes with themselves, with their families, with their friends, with their with their work. I mean, it's just it's just part of the world that we live in. It's basically in a lot of senses, you know, if you look at it a big picture from a big picture, if you can mi minimize your mistakes you're going to live a, a much more successful, productive life than most people. It is it's extremely difficult. We have all, the, the biggest enemy that any of us are ever going to encounter in our lives is the face that is staring back at us when we look in the mirror in the morning. I, to, to be able to govern yourself, to handle your life correctly, is the greatest challenge any of us will ever face. And I, I'll t let me tell you this. When I was a freshman, at the University of North Carolina, I had, uh, uh, you know, done better than some people in, in, in school up to that point and, it, you know, been able to go to what was considered, you know, a pretty decent uh, university, not, you know, top, top tier, but, you know, pretty good. And at that time, I don't really know what it's like now, to tell you the truth. It's hard to say anymore. But, uh, but I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to go there. And um, I, I didn't, I, <laughs> I went to a small private school that uh, I think there were 27 of us in, in my graduating class. And our, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. And my uh, ninth grade year, uh, the school I went to was, was starting. And there were nine grades. And they added a grade every year until I graduated. So I was basically a senior for four years. And I graduated 27 people. And only one other person from my graduating class went to University of North Carolina. And we were the, in the first graduating class. So I really didn't know what was going on at all. I was very insulated, uh, had a very small world experience in, in, in my first 18 years. And I went to the University of North Carolina and took pot luck for a roommate. I lived in, in, a, in a housing that was approved as, as student housing. And I, I lucked out and, and roomed with a guy named David Fox from Statesville, North Carolina. And David was 18 years old and he was a completely mature professional adult. He couldn't, he was, 
he to this day he is the best person I've ever known in my life. He was totally considerate. Uh, could not have gone out of his way to be a better roommate. Uh, just a kind, decent, honest person, and he had the best worth ethic of any human being I've ever known in my life. And I was a very immature 18-year-old and didn't really understand how hard you had to work to succeed academically at this particular institution. Uh, and David was totally focused and knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a lawyer. Make a long story short, uh, I was your typical 18-year-old immature little, little, little child. David worked six days a week. Uh, he would take, like our, during football season, he would take off Saturday, about a half a Saturday to go to a football game. And he, had, he was dating a girl at that time. But anyway, to make his long story short, like I said, at the end of our freshman year, he had a 4-0. I didn't, believe me. My father, God bless him, who grew up in the Depression, was a POW in World War II, picked me up to take me back to Charlotte. And he chewed me out. He, he, you know, we discussed what had happened to me academically. I was honest with him and told him I hadn't really applied myself and basically just barely gotten by. And he chewed me out from Charlotte, I mean, from Chapel Hill to Charlotte, uh, told me I should just drop out of school and join the Marines and try to make something of my life uh, rather than be a bum. And it, you know, I thought about it. And what he was saying, I, I, I totally, I couldn't argue with the word he said. I totally understood where he was coming from based on his life experience. I totally understood uh, how fortunate I was to live with a model, role model like David and uh, had time to think about it that summer. Got a job, worked as, as a janitor, did some pretty hard work doing that and basically worked harder my last three years, never remotely approaching what David did. But, you know, I did better. Uh, David graduated Phi Beta Kappa, uh, went to law school, did incredibly well, got a great uh, position at a great law firm when he graduated, has had a great career, and he deserves everything he's ever gotten. And I've done better than I would have if I hadn't have met him. So I say to all this to tell you that there is hope for us, and I'll be talking about that in my next podcast. And uh, again, my name is Martin Davis. The name of my part podcast is Martin Davis Mansplains. And I look forward to uh, being with you next week. Thank you.